0: Hello and welcome to the Destiny Church podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. All right, cool. Hey, we're in week two of our series titled "All In." And last week, and, and over the next few weeks, we're discussing we're discussing vision for this house, uh, vision for Destiny Church, and. Uh, You know, we're not only over the next two weeks discussing vision and us being all in. We talked about the theme for 2020 is just this is going to be a year where we're all in. We're committed, right? We're going to be devoted just like the church in Acts 2. But we're also talking about through this series establishing not just vision for the church, But vision for us and vision for our family. And last week, a lot of you took some time to write down what your vision was and put it on our vision board. And if you didn't have the chance to do that last week, you're more than welcome. Man, what is God speaking to you? Is it a word? Is it a thought? Is it a phrase? Is it, man, you know, I saw things like, I want to be the spiritual leader. Now, I want to be a better mom and a, and a better wife for Christ, right? I, whatever God's putting in your heart to do, to be, to become in 2020, write it down, put it up on there so we can hold you accountable, and the plan is to make some sort of mosaic with all the things that people write. I think it's going to be cool. Um, and then also, next Sunday, we're not going to be meeting here. We're going to be meeting at the Oasis Center in Springfield. That's the, the Sunday, the 26th, and that's going to be awesome, man. We're going to, we're going to come together. We're going to recap 2019, celebrate the win from 2019, and we'll have Pastor Chad just continue on in in greater detail what the vision is for this church and for this house. Um, It's going to be awesome. We're expecting up to over a 1,000 people being there, just us coming together with our other campus, and I think it's going to be special. So this is is a year, especially this time, we're talking about vision for 2020. And uh, so as we continue on in our in week two of our series titled All In, we find ourselves in Judges 14. And, you know, one thing about vision is is vision takes focus. Vision takes focus. So if, if we're distracted, then there's a good chance we're not gonna step into the vision God has for us. And how many know, man, it's easy to get distracted from the things God's called you to, amen? Samson, my man, was really good at getting distracted. Okay, I, I, shared, uh, I shared a little mini thought on this at our Heaven Come service, and our Heaven Come service is gonna be the first Sunday of February, so come out for that. But, uh, but I wanna kind of expound on that thought that I shared with you. We found ourselves in Judges 14, verses five through eight. It says this. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. And at that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young Tom Brady. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I always read that. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat, okay? But he didn't tell his father or mother about it. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. So just to kind of help put it into perspective here, I'll, I'll pick it up and read the rest of his verse. But Samson, he's, he's, uh, he, he's hanging out, right? There's the Philistines, there's the Israelites, and he sees this, this girl from Timnah that he likes. He, and, he, and he tells his parents, hey, mom and dad, I think I got a thing for this girl. I want to go see. I want to go engage with her. I want to go have a couple conversations. Feel out, is this the girl I want to marry? So let's take a trip to Timnah. I want y'all to come with me. I want your approval. Okay, I want, I want you to come meet, come meet her. And as they're on their way to Timnah, this lion tries to attack Samson. and He just rips it apart, right? Samson has this gift of supernatural strength. It's just something the Lord's gifted him with. And where is his strength found, those who know the story? in his hair, okay, so, and we don't find that out until later in the story, but Samson can just take out whole armies by himself, he's, he's almost like this, you know, Old Testament superhero, to say the least, so here he is walking down, he rips this, this line apart, but he doesn't tell his parents, he goes down, he meets the girl, right, and then it says, and then he goes home at some point, he goes, shakes her hand, maybe they hug, kissed her on the cheek, he kept it classy for the first couple dates, okay, he's you know, he's a gentleman, probably not, I don't know, he goes back, talks with his parents, and here's where we pick up in verse 8. It says, later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, so he says, yeah, I like this girl. I want her to be mine. Amen. He says, later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, notice this. He, he's on the path to marry this girl. He's off to marry this girl, and we'll find out later that this wedding is something that God wants to take place. But it says later when he he returned to Timnah, it says he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. He turned off the path. Okay, Just, just key words here. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. How many know? Here, you can write this down. I'll try to say it slow. The enemy tries to distract you from your destination by making dead things look sweet. The enemy tries to distract you from your destination by making dead things look sweet. I feel like preaching this this morning. Listen, last week, we, we all established a vision, okay? We all established a destination, in essence, of, of where we wanted to head in 2020, what we wanted to see in, in 2020. We, I, I, literally, while I was prepping this, I went down, I read a couple of them on the wall. Some said, I want to be committed. I, I want to be the spiritual leader, I want to be the mother and wife Christ called me to be. I want to foster or adopt. I want to have a better relationship with my kids. I want to be bold, right? Everybody wrote down these things, and the list goes on. But what we have to understand is our enemy doesn't want any of us to step into that. So he's going to do everything he can to turn you off the path, to distract you from the vision that God has for you. But if this is going to be a year where we're all in, then we need to be aware of the enemy's schemes. And we need, to, we need to declare collectively, but also individually, that we are not going to allow dead things to distract us, okay? title of my message this morning is Dead Things. Like I said, I feel like preaching it. Let's pray. Jesus, Father, I just come to you this morning. Um, Asking that you would use this word in a divine way. Use it to shape and mold us into the image of your son, Jesus. Um, Father, I-, I pray that you would give us hearts to receive, ears to hear, eyes to see this morning. And Father, if we've been distracted, I pray that we would get back on path this morning, Lord. That we we would set our feet back on the path you has for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And uh, let us be not just hearers of your word, but doers also. In your mighty name, amen. You know, if- we were just being honest in the room. You know what? Let's close our eyes. Let's close our eyes. Do a l- little survey here. H- how many of you feel like sometimes God's will for our life is confusing to figure out? Okay, you can put your hands down. Honest room. Like God, you know. Ha- like, it, it, I think we could all agree. Sometimes it's it's difficult to know God. What I- what is your vision for my life here while I'm on earth? What do you What do you want me to do? And and I want to answer this question. And, and as we venture through this series on vision and being all in. I want to help you simplify exactly that. What is God's will for my life? What, what is God's vision for my life? But before I do that, I have a story about an ex-girlfriend and my wife always loves when I tell these. Come on. You know, this is really, this is unrelated. I wasn't even going to tell it, but I remember one time, this is a different ex-girlfriend story, but I remember one, I remember one time, I got a text message, she's like, hey, can you meet me at the park? And I'm like, we never just meet at the park, I'm getting broken up with. <laughs> okay, that's what that's what's about to happen. I'm like, everything all right? I'm like, is that, there... it'll be fine. I'm like, oh, come on, man. So whatever, I go to the park, and we're sitting on this bench, and you know, she starts breaking up with me, slow and smooth, and, and you know, one of the things she said to me, she goes, and you know, Mark, I, I really saw myself marrying a pastor come on, are you thankful we got a God who sees it in you when nobody else sees it in you? That's all right, baby girl. I hope he bless you. Amen. I'm not bitter or anything. No, but for real. (laughs) So back in high school, back in high school, man, I was always seen as the Jesus kid. Like I, like I, this was a part of my reputation from my peers, from my parents. I was the Jesus kid. And but even though I was the Jesus kid, I, I still always seemed to share this portion of influence or popularity in the school or among my peers. And um, uh, I, like, I never had too much trouble making friends. I was always a decent athlete. It's not a big deal. I don't talk about it a lot, but I was Homecoming King senior year, whatever. I mean, just throwing it out there. But for real, I was a Jesus kid. I went to church every single Sunday. I started playing the drums in church when I was in sixth or seventh grade and was literally there every single week. I remember having sleepovers with my buddy and my dad would be pulling up in the driveway at 6 a.m. Hurry up and get out here, kid. We're gonna be late, right? So it was every week I was gonna be there. I wasn't too ashamed to talk about spiritual or religious things with my friends. Like, I would I would openly talk about Jesus. And even on the athletic teams with my friends, I'd usually be leading the prayers. And even though I had everyone convinced, everyone saw from the outside that I was spiritual. Mark Griffin was spiritual, and I was upright. I, I did the right thing. I had been in church. Whether they knew it or not, I knew my life didn't look like God calls. It didn't look like the way God calls it to look. Anyone ever been there? You could say I was distracted. I still, I still ventured to the party scene here, here and there. Didn't make strong efforts to stay pure. Right, my, my language was foul, and even though everyone else considered me, that's Mark, that's the Jesus kid, that's the good guy, I knew I wasn't who God was calling me to be. I, I knew this wasn't the vision God had for my life. I was distracted. But when I was 16 years old, man, I I felt in my spirit, I I was in church, I I felt like I went back and forth with Jesus. Like sometimes I was with him, sometimes I wasn't. But I knew, man, I'm supposed to pastor, I'm supposed to preach. Like I felt that in my heart, I've shared that with you guys. And deep down through through this season and through all the bad decisions, I knew better. Even as a young man, I, I knew I wasn't living out the life God envisioned for me to live. But still, everyone everyone else, they didn't seem to think anything I was doing was wrong or unmoral or sinful. So I remember one night, I'm with a girl I was dating at the time in high school. I'm about to, I'm pulling up to her house. I'm about to drop her off at her house. And we just kind of get into this deep conversation. And I remember... You know, I'm processing through a lot of this stuff. College is right around the corner. I'm trying to figure out, man, I got to figure out what am I going to do with my life? Who am I trying to be? Like contemplating, thinking through all this stuff and was just convicted about where I'd allow myself to be living and be involved with. And I remember like just kind of in that conviction just said, man, I just want to be better, you know? Like I just, I just want to be better. Told you I was convicted about a lot of stuff. Knew I had a call on my life, knew God had a vision for me, had a vision for Mark. And and the way I was living, I was nowhere close to fulfilling the vision he had for me if I kept going that path. So in my conviction, I say, man, I just want to be better. And I remember my girlfriend at the time literally rolls her eyes, takes a big puff. She's like, Mark, you're like already perfect. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it's funny, but the problem was is I was distracted by things that were detrimental to God's vision for my life. But it was like the enemy had everyone manipulated into thinking the partying, the lack of purity, right, the cussing, whatever it else. It wasn't a big deal. That stuff's not sinful. It's sweet. Right? It's not sinful. It's sweet. But they were bringing death, all these things were bringing death to my intimacy with God, right? And they were distracting me from the vision God had for my life. And, you know, if we're not careful, church, there may be things present in our own lives right now distracting us from the vision God has for us. And a lot of us, just, you know, just last week, we've established some vision. We've established some specific things we feel pressed to do in 2020. And that's amazing. I, I want us to be all in on those things. But I think on the, on a broader scale, just a, a calling to us as believers, God's vision for us, we all just said, man, God's will is a lot, it's hard to figure out sometimes. I don't know what he wants me to do. Like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. It's difficult. It can be confusing. But I think on this broader scale, God's vision for us is a lot less complicated than we make it out to be. I love this verse, 1 Thessalonians, verses 4 through 6. Uh, verse chapter 4, verse 3, it says this. It is God's will. Here's God, you want to know God's will? Here it is. Everybody listening? It is God's will. One person, praise God. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. And the word sanctified means set apart as holy. Set apart as holy. God has called you to live a life that's set apart from the world, not because he loves giving you rules, not because he, he loves to just, you know, be the boss. That's not his attitude. God's called you to live set apart in this world because God understands the enemy has manipulated the world into thinking dead things are sweet and dead things bring death. God's called you to live set apart from the world, word, or from, the, from the world. And live by the truth of his word because in this life, living set apart is where you're going to experience the fullness of God's love, the fullness of God's protection, the fullness of God's joy, the fullness of God's peace, the fullness of God's goodness. And if if we go venturing out into the dead things of the world, it's going to be artificial love, it's going to be artificial joy, it's going to be artificial peace. It's all dead. God's called you to live set apart. Not because he loves giving you rules, it's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. Hey, I, I don't want you to mess with these dead things. Listen, I know the world's tugging on you. I know this these things are, are tugging on you, but I want you to live the way I've called you to live because I love you. I have a plan for you, a vision for your life. I want to I want to care for you. I want to take, I want you to be safe, right? So, so, okay, so, so God, your will is to live set apart, easy to define, but even though it's easy to define, how many would agree? Man, it's easy to define, but it ain't hard, it's hard to do sometimes. Amen? It's hard to do. And I think part of the reason it's so hard to do is, again, because the enemy distracts us from our vision by making those dead things look sweet. And if we're currently distracted, right right now, if you find yourself in this room distracted, there's a good chance it's destroying the vision God has for you. Can I just be real in the room and just be honest? And and as we look at the life of Samson, we we see this to be true in the life of Samson. So let's go back or or, so I'll give you a little bit of background before we we read the verses because I want you guys to understand how important Samson is uh, to this Israelite community and at this point in time, we find the Israelites, who are God's people, they're being oppressed by the Philistines. So we could say the Philistines are the bad guys. That the Israelites are getting bullied. And you know, you got to keep in mind the Israelites, these are supposed to be God's chosen people. Like they're supposed to be blessed, they're supposed to be set apart. And, and here they are. They've just been oppressed by the Philistines and they're crying out. And they're basically at this point where they're like, God, have you forgot about us? Are you done with us? Did you, did you leave us? Like, are, are we done? Right, and right when they're about ready to just throw in the towel, an angel comes and visits a, a young Israelite couple and says, hey, you're gonna have a son, okay? You're gonna have a son. I want you to name him Samson, and I want him to be a Nazarite, and we'll talk a little bit about what a Nazarite is here, it, but it says, this, this boy named Samson, he's gonna deliver you guys from the oppression of the Philistines as long as he lives out this Nazarite vow. So usually if someone's going to be a Nazarite, this is something, you know, when when I'm of age, I'm going to decide that I'm going to take on the Nazarite vow. But God, this was, it was God's vision for Samson to be a Nazarite. I I want this for him. This is a part of his calling. This is a part of his destiny in essence. So if if you were going to take on this Nazarite vow, there was three things that you basically had to vow to do or to stay away from. And that was? You couldn't drink alcohol or wine. You couldn't cut your hair. And you couldn't touch dead things. You couldn't touch anything that was dead. So what we see here from the beginning is, is Samson, just like all of us in the room, had this call to live set apart. To live a little bit different than the rest of the world. And in doing so, would, would fulfill the vision that God had for him. And as long as he followed these commands, he'd be on the path God wants him to be on. Samson would fulfill his God-given destiny. Samson would be the guy God uses. Come on, does anyone in the room, do you want to be the one God uses? Like, I want to be the one God uses, okay? So let's take a little peek. I, I want to run through a little bit of Samson's story here and, and see how he does following these commands. Okay? Okay? Judges 14, verses 1 through 4 says this. One day, when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistines, now remember, the Philistines are the enemies, okay? This is this is like this is this is like an Ohio State fan trying to marry a Michigan fan or, or something like that. You know, like this is they're, they're rivals here. This is this is not okay. This is like, this is like, you know, your your sister uh dating the bully who's been beating you up. It's like, what's going on here? This is this is it says, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. And when he returned home, he told his father and mother, hey, <laughs> young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye, mom and dad. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. They're like, isn't there even one woman in your tribe or among all the Israelites you can marry? Like, you've got to go to the enemy right boy you always like the bad girls you know they ain't good for you you know they get you in trouble you know they've been taking you further than you want to go okay they asked why must you go with the pagan philistines to find a wife but samson told his father get her for me she looks good okay she looks good but then you'll see in verse 4, his father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this. The Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines to rule over Israel at that time. So here here we establish, okay, there's actually some divine purpose in this marriage taking place. This is a part of the vision. This is a part of the call, right? So let's go on to verses 5 through 9. So he, It says, as Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. And at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and Samson ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat, but he didn't tell his father or mother about it. And when Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman, and he was pleased with her. He said, yeah, that's the girl I want. Yeah, she looks good. Great personality. Yeah, She's good. I want to marry her. And then he goes home with his parents. And verse eight later, when he returned to Timna for a wedding, for for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. And it goes on, and he, and he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. So what does he do? He scoops some of the honey into his hands, and he ate it along the way. And he also gave some to his father and his mother. And they ate it, but he didn't tell them he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. I mean, a pretty cool story, right? Like, to just rip this lion to shreds, it's a big deal. But the problem is, Samson isn't supposed to touch dead things. This isn't a part of his vision. It's not a part of his destiny. It's not a part of his calling. But notice, the dead thing turned him off the path he was supposed to be on. See, and I don't think Samson, I don't think Satan wanted Samson to make it to that wedding, to make it to the marriage. I don't, I think Satan knew, man, I gotta take out Samson because he's gonna oppress the Philistines. So if I can distract Samson with these dead things, if I can get, get him in front of the things he's not supposed to be around, it'll be detrimental to his destiny, detrimental to God's vision for his life. I wanna interrupt the plan. So I'm gonna do what I can. And you think about it, if, if Satan can take out Samson, and then, then maybe the Philistines won't get a, get oppressed right they won't come against the Philistines and the Philistines will instead dominate the Israelite people and, and maybe they'll be withered away Then God's word won't exist anymore and no one will know the truth everyone will just know the lie of these pagan religions problem solved I think that's Satan's plan that's his hope I, I need to take out Samson so I'm going to distract him with anything that I can the enemy knew dead things would be detrimental to Samson's destiny and sure enough, Samson touches the dead thing. He messes with it. And, and as his life continues on, he just continues to get more and more distracted. It's like a snowball effect. More and more, hap, more, and more happens. And as Samson, in his, in his disobedience, as he continues to turn away from the things God commanded him to stay away from, right? he just gets further and further from the vision that God had for him. And in this morning, I believe the enemy knows that if he can distract you with dead things, it'll be detrimental to your destiny too. So this morning, I just want to call it for what it is. I want to stare three things in the face and say no longer are we going to be distracted by you. Amen? Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Three things that the enemy uses today in our time. Three dead lions he's making look sweet for us. is one, status. One, status. If y'all don't know by now, Pastor Mark is through and through, 100%. I got three love languages. One, words of affirmation. Two, words of affirmation. Three, words of affirmation, okay? You tell me I'm pretty and I'm preach good and I'll glow, amen? You light up my world. And in my earlier years of ministry, when I, when I was first stepping into preaching, um, you know, I remember I just was kind of doing it on a whim. I, I knew that it was in my heart to do, but I never really had much mentorship. I, I just, I, no one really taught me how to do it. I just got in there and just gave it my best shot. I said, Lord, here we go. I, I think this is what you're calling me to do. I'm going to be obedient. And, and I remember at first when, when people would come up to me after a sermon or after, a, you know, after preaching, they, man, that was a good word. Come on, that was, that was a powerful sermon. Man, you're, you're so anointed, right? I don't know why I don't hear that much anymore, but for a short season, these words, they did something for me, right? They, they, they lit something up and they affirmed me. They made me feel significant. They made me feel important. They, they made me feel like maybe I had a gift that not many people had. This is, whew, this is cool, And and true or not, you can see where these thoughts are much more about me than they are about him. And and I remember I I started to recognize this. The Lord started convicting me. And I said, man, this is like, I I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be doing this so people can say, good job, preacher. Good job, pastor. And and I remember I I physically started praying. God, I I don't want to be affirmed by the words of others. I wanna be affirmed by the work of you in the lives of the people I lead. I I don't wanna be fueled by good job, good sermon, you're so anointed, wow, you're gonna go on to do great things. Right now, and I really believe the Lord began to refine that in me, and now as a leader and as a pastor, the most encouraging thing for me as a leader to watch is when the people that I lead and the people that I pastor pick up the things they need to pick up or put down the things they need to pick up put down or they you know when they just fall absolutely in love with Jesus it changes everything about their life that's what affirms me now but but I think in my earlier years I battled this desire for status it was about status I wanted people to think I was gifted right I, I wanted people to think that I, I was I was gifted and I was anointed and I was special it was about me and I believe that If if that part of me was never refined, if that part of me was never cut away, then all this wouldn't glorify God. And isn't that the goal? Not to glorify me. Your life isn't to glorify you. Right? It's to glorify him. And I think a lot of us have been turned off the path God has for us because we're out here chasing status. Chasing significance, chasing importance, chasing wanting to be seen and recognized and feel special, chasing after approval from others and selfish ambitions, ultimately to glorify ourselves, not to glorify God. And John 3.30 lays it out real simple for us. He must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. But how often do we get around our family, our friends, our coworkers, and to promote ourselves, to promote our status, we compromise God's vision for our life. Come on, I even find myself slipping into it sometimes. They're all saying it, so I guess I'll say it too. They're all doing it, so I guess I'll do it too. I I don't want to be left out. I just want to fit in. Listen, it is God's will that you be sanctified. He has set you apart as holy. Your calling isn't to fit in, church. It's to stand out, set apart, as holy. That's how people are going to see Jesus. Come on, we got to be sanctified, set apart all in on the vision God has for us, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's awkward. Come on, this is what we were created for. Status is a dead thing he's making look sweet. As Christians, it's about time we started rising up with boldness for God's glory, saying rather, right, rather than crumbling the minute our status is, is threatened of being nullified. Like, I I know there's probably people in this room for two years and three months, you've wanted to raise your hands in this place on Sunday morning, but you're so worried about people watching and what people might think you won't do it, rather than being liberated in God's spirit and giving them praise that he's worthy of. Our eyes are on ourselves. We're worried about our status. Some of y'all have wanted to come up with a prayer team and and come up and pray with the Huffs and pray with the Deckards, right, and and, and talk about what, you know, you've needed the help. You've been convicted to do it. But man, what will people think if I go up there? That'll nullify my status, right, rather than us being liberated in God's spirit, rather than us finding healing in confession. I have a question for you. Those who have been chasing status, distracted by it, is is the status you've been fighting to have, is it giving you joy? Is is it giving you freedom? Of course not. Status is a dead thing that the enemy makes look sweet. You weren't created to carry that glory. God was designed to carry that glory. And that glory will get heavy. Especially when you weren't the one created to carry it. Satan makes glorifying yourself sweeter than glorifying God but remember we said this last week God doesn't exist for us we exist for him right number one dead thing that the enemy makes look sweet is status two is self-talk self-talk you know last week uh, a lot of us we took the time to kind of jot down a vision that God had for us in the year twenty twenty, something we wanted to do, and I, I read a couple of them in the beginning. But you know, I saw it, be a spiritual leader, be a better mom and wife, be more committed, whatever it is. And, and if you haven't written something down, man, I wanna, I wanna encourage you do that and and hang it up out in the lobby. But I bet there were some of us last week who, you know, I don't necessarily like to pro, to project negativity over my congregation, but I just, I wonder if there were some of us who. As we received the vision from the Lord, as it, as it rose up in our heart, we, we went through the effort of writing it down. We were vulnerable enough to write it down. And then we said, all right, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm, I'm going to do it. And we, and we took it out in the lobby, and, and we wrapped the janky wires around the, around the string, right? And we got it to, finally got it to stick after it kept sliding down. And we said, it's up there. And, and then we left church. I wonder how many of us left church thinking, man, this is a good thought. Man, I would love to see this happen. But I know I won't be able to fulfill this vision. I know I won't be. I I am the way I am. I haven't been a leader this long in my life. I'm not going to be one now. Like I haven't had a great relationship with my kids this long. How am I going to have one now? I'm not going to have one now. And I think that we don't understand, whether, the, whether it's words that we're saying to ourselves or words we're saying to others, I don't think we understand the power that our tongue has. I don't think we understand how powerful the words and the things we say to others really are. And so I want to go to James 3. I love James 3 because I think it paints this, this really, this perfect picture of why we really got to be intentional with the things that we decide to say. James 3, verse 2, it says this. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Let's get it out there. But it says, for if we could control our tongues, this is key, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So I know, and James goes on to say, no one can tame the tongue entirely. Like it's just, you can't do it. We all make mistakes. But listen, the tongue, if we could though, It doesn't negate the fact that it's true. If we could tame the tongue, it would change our life. You change your words, you'll change your life. That's what I'm saying, right? If you could could perfect your words, if you could tame the tongue, you could perfect your life. See, and and I know that, you know, maybe we won't reach perfection, okay? But some of us aren't even being intentional about the things we say. And we're just letting it fly, not even realizing the power it has to, to build up or tear down. Verse three, I love the imagery. It says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. It's talking about the power of our tongue, right? These these awesome images. And in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest fire. And I wonder how many of us have been going around our kids, going around our marriage, going around our relationships, going around our job, our career, our church, our church family, right? Your pastor. No, I'm just playing. Hopefully not. But just throwing little sparks. Man, they're so annoying. I hate when they do that. They're stupid. Come on, can't you clean up your room? Can't you listen to me? You're so stupid. Right, little sparks. Throwing them on our, on our kids. Throwing them on our family. Right, and we, what we don't realize is now it's three years down the road and we got a whole bunch of fires we're having a hard time containing. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. You can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. I, I think many, uh, many of us struggle with, with our self-talk for many different reasons, for, we, for fear, insecurity, um, inadequacy, frustration, whatever. But, but I think oftentimes the reason we're so willing to believe ourselves, to believe the self-talk, and submit to those thoughts that we have is because it's comfortable. If I tell myself I'm not good enough, then I don't have to try and, and find out that I'm not. It's comfortable. And, and what I what I found is our, is our enemy, he, he makes comfort appear much sweeter than stepping out in faith. So you can see where my, my words, if I just... If I if I'm speaking negativity if' I'm, if I'm speaking doubt, right then it can it can I don't have to step out of faith. I'm not good enough. No I'm not no, I'm, I'm not equipped for that. Here we are just speaking power, tearing down ourselves with our words our, our self-talk you It's and it leads to us just being comfortable us just believing the things we say to ourselves. But listen, man, we were called to step out in faith and to trust God. One, status. Two, self-talk. Three, seduction. James 1, verses 14 through 15, it says this. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us. Our desires entice us, and then they drag us away. It's Powerful. These desires, they give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, when we allow sin to grow, when we don't confront it, when we don't confess it, when we don't repent of it, when we don't try to flee from it, right? When it's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Sin is enticing, isn't it? Oh, I'm the only one who wants to be honest in the room. That sometimes it looks good, sometimes it looks fun, sometimes I'm like, whoa, I'm in sin, I don't even realize I got here, right? And and as we look at the life of Samson, you you literally watch a man who continually, time and time again, just allows sins to grow in his life, and it's festering in every aspect of his life. (laughs) And I wonder if we were to have an honest conversation in this room, or even an honest conversation with ourselves, is there areas of our lives where we are allowing sin to grow? We're not confronting it. And you know what? I didn't even write this down, but I just thought about this. The best way for sin to grow is if we pretend it's not there. The best way for sin to grow is if we pretend it's not there. Man, I'm not not gonna deal with that. No, I'm not going to confess it because it's not really an issue. It's not really No, I'm not going to go get help because it's not really an issue. It's not really a problem. It's not really there. Listen, that's how we create fertile soil for sin to grow in our lives. Sin, it's constantly seducing us. I'll, I'll just, I'll just gossip a little bit. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> I'll just lust a little bit. Everybody's struggling with it. And, and without even realizing it, before you know it. We fertilize spots in our hearts and mind where sin can grow. Sin is enticing. It's seductive. You see Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And they saw the fruit and it looked good. It looked good. And they were seduced into disobedience. And here's what I found. You can write this down. Our enemy often makes sinning look sweeter than obedience to God. Our enemy often makes sinning look sweeter than obedience to God. I found this verse in Galatians. I think it's powerful. Galatians 6, verse 7 through 8, it says this. Don't be misled, church. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Have some of us in the room, have we been living to satisfy our sinful nature? And then you wonder while there's all, you know, we, we wonder while there's these things falling apart. We, we wonder why this is, Why there's decay and death going on in our life, mentally, emotionally, relationally. But then it goes on to say, "But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit." It's really simple here: reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And my question for you this morning is where have you allowed sin to grow? As you search your heart, as you reflect on your life, we, we gotta find it, we gotta confront it because it's distracting and it's hindering the vision God has for you. And if this is gonna be a year where we're all in on the vision God has for us, we don't have time to be distracted. Kim, you can jump on the keys if you wouldn't mind. So back to Samson. My nose is running, driving me crazy. Final moments of Samson's life. Long story short, Samson ends up, you know, he doesn't end up marrying the girl at Timna. A whole bunch of drama goes down, more bad decisions, more disobedience, more pride, more whatever, all types of issues. He ends up hooking up with his girl uh, named Delilah, and she's also a Philistine girl. And, you know, he starts kind of hooking up with her and what he doesn't realize about her is she's really trying to figure out what his weakness is. She wants to make him weak. She wants to take away his strength, right? So he won't defeat the Philistines. So time and time again, she comes to Samson, saying, hey, baby, tell me, where's your strength come from? For real, you're so strong, stop it. Where's it come from? And he jokes and he plays and he tells her things and they're not really that, but he allows the sin to grow. He, he's distracted and he continues and, and he continues to get distracted and he, and, and he creates this relationship with the, with, the, with the thing God never called him to be a part of here and eventually he gives in because you hang around with it long enough it ends up biting you right and he goes my strength is where in his hair now I want you to, I want you to think back when Samson was called to be a Nazarite, what were, the, what were the three things he's not supposed to do? Drink alcohol or wine, touch dead things, and don't cut your hair. And here it is, this picture of grace where I think sometimes, God, why, do you, why are you telling me to do that? That's not fair, that's stupid. I don't wanna follow your commands. It's not fun. I'm gonna miss out on all this stuff. Could it be that God's given you these commands in love to protect your strength? To protect you? Samson, don't cut your hair because what what you may not realize is is you'll lose your strength. You'll be vulnerable. It'll it'll hurt you. You'll get damaged. Trust me. So Samson ends up telling her, it's in my hair. And while Samson's sleeping, the guards come in and and they cut off his hair. And here's where we pick up in a couple chapters later in Judges 16. I pulled this from the message version. It says this. Then she said, the Philistines are on you, Samson. And he woke up thinking, I'll go out like I always do and shake free. But remember, God won't be mocked. I'll go out like always and shake free. And he didn't realize that God had abandoned him. And the Philistines, they grabbed him and they gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. They shackled him in irons and, and they put him to the work of grinding in the prison. Here he was, he gets, he, he was so distracted from the vision God had for him that he ended up physically losing his own vision. And here he is, he finds himself chained up to a wall thinking man this is this is it it's all it's all over i've I've ruined it i'm man god had great plans for me and now i've ruined them all and and here i am in the cell locked up and this is going to be my demise this is going to be the death of me but then you read that last little verse there that last little bit of grace in the message and it says but though but his hair though cut off it began to grow again Samson spent so much time being distracted by things that were detrimental to God's vision for his life. He, Like I said, he physically lost his vision, right? And I want to ask you this morning, what are we distracted by in this season that could be causing great damage to God's vision for us? Things didn't go as planned for Samson. Wasn't, wasn't the original plan here But I'm thankful we serve a God who allows us to hit the reset button, who allows our hair to grow again in Jesus, in repentance, in his grace. He allows our hair to grow again. And even though our actions, come on. Yeah, it's good. Even though our actions may alter the original vision, even though it might look a little different when we get around to it, God is always able to do a new thing. He's always able to restore. Right? He's always able to make new. And Jesus, this morning, he wants to take all the dead things we've been distracted by in this life. Right? And he wants to take those away. That's why he died on the cross, to take all the dead things that you have and that I have and to give us life and real life and life to the full. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, it says, Then Jesus said, this invitation from Jesus, I love it, come to me all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and i'll give you rest you felt weak i'll I'll help your hair grow back again come to me no more distractions no more wandering off the path come to me i am the way i am the path take my yoke upon you let me teach you because i'm humble and gentle at heart You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. If we're going to be all in in 2020, we have to decide that we are going to live undistracted. And it's time to stop messing with dead things.